Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Andy Otto, and I'm joined this month with Sarah Otto and Father Bill Noe, who is the newest member on our pastoral team. And during this Ignatian year, we are focusing a bit more explicitly on certain principles and themes of Ignatian spirituality. And this episode, we're talking about desire. St. Ignatius said that one of the purposes of the spiritual exercises is to find better what one desires. So it's kind of an important theme, uh, even in discernment, and hopefully it can be something that we can unpack. So Bill and Sarah, maybe we can start off with just sort of more of a personal opening into this topic of how have you experienced desire in your spiritual life? So when I think back to the beginning of my adult spiritual life, my heart was pretty much numb. And I began to work with a spiritual director who would invite me at the end of a time of praying to look back at what had happened and especially at what had happened in my heart. And I would come in with my journal and read what I had written. And his counsel was, don't write for more than one or two minutes. And I would come in and I would say, I prayed with this and I think this. I prayed with this and I think this. I know that, 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 that. And every time I would start a sentence, he didn't do this right away, but within a few sessions, every time I would start a sentence, I think he would stop me. Go to the next sentence, he'd say. And sometimes I would get through a whole, a whole month's worth of, of prayer without having touched a desire. And so it was incredibly frustrating. Um, and eventually, the way the, the, the floodgates opened for me was to realize, oh, I can't feel my desires. And right along with that insight became a, came a huge wave of rage against God. And then I found, then I found desires everywhere and began to have to try to sift them, which was no easy matter. So um, first there were none, and then there were too many to make sense of. Yeah, that makes me think, I feel like Ignatian spirituality, when critiqued, um, you know, people think it's a a feel-good spirituality, and the focus on desires is, you know, on our, our sensual pleasures, but when I think of desire in, in you saying that it was rage that came that then opened up desires, yeah, desire in my spiritual life has been a very hard, lonely journey. Um, and, and I think back to my first eight night retreat, it was the summer before my um, final year in graduate studies. And Um, So I went in, as many retreatants do, with expectations that I would figure out my plan for post-graduation and um, plan for the rest of my life. And that plan, of course, didn't unfold in those eight days. 
But what emerged in the silence um, was just this unbearable loneliness and longing. And, and for me at that point in my life, it was a longing for partnership, for love, for marriage, this, this real call to marriage. Um, and it was a painful week, but it was an absolutely beautiful week too of connecting with God in that deep um, vulnerable desire and being honest really for the first time and having to grapple with, okay, what does this desire mean when I'm not in a relationship right now with someone? How do I pray with this desire? How do I ask God to meet me in this desire? Um, and so it was hard <laughs> desires aren't about just these pleasures that we have, but really I think desire, the other face of desire is longing and longing's not, not easy by any means. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a hard spirituality when you really dive into it. Yeah. I think, I think that desires are important in that they sort of propel us forward on our Christian journey. The biggest moment of desire for me was both entering religious life and then leaving religious life and certainly leaving religious life. I felt these growing desires for marriage and yet I also had a desire for ministry. So holding these two desires, you know, realizing I couldn't, I couldn't be both the Jesuit and married. Um, I had to, had to make a decision and they propelled me forward into a life of lay ministry in marriage. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's really interesting to see how the grace that comes from our own deep desires really do unfold. And they often unfold, I think, in ways that we don't initially expect. And I think that's a struggle for some people who, you know, they pray for a desire, they feel like God is confirming their desire in prayer, but then it doesn't pan out the way they expect. Sometimes it comes to fruition in a, in a, a new way. I like that idea of propelling forward and it makes me think like, yeah, what, what is it propelling you past? And it's not like, you know, you're moving forward to achieve something in the Christian life, but it's really, you're moving forward past your fears. And I think it's fears that so often keep us um, from really longing and reaching for more. Um, but if we can tap into our desires, that's what can give us a sense of conviction and courage in the face of fear. And that's why my gosh, favorite calling of the disciples passage is the gospel of John and just Jesus's question about desire. What are you looking for? And it's that question of being able to tap into in each of our own hearts of what am I really looking for? And what, what am I worth? What's worth sacrificing to get that? What's um, yeah. What, what will I give up? What will I move past? What will I let go of in order to get that true desire? Um, but again, it's hard. It's fear. There's lots of fears <laughs> that prevent us from doing that. You know, I really like what Sarah said about what do, when she said, when she shared the question, what do I really want? because I think that Ignatian spirituality is sometimes misunderstood. Now, I think for a long time, I thought there were two ways of spirituality. Um, one way that says that the best way for me to discern what God wants is to smash my desires. 
if I could flatten them, get rid of them somehow, then I'd be all ready to be filled up with God's desires. And that there was this other way. And for a long time, I thought it was the Ignatian way. I just trust my desires um, to, to steer the way. And over time, I've come to, to, to the conviction that Ignatius is, is a kind of middle way. It's not certainly not crush your desires. And it's not simply trust your desires. It's attentive desires, discern them, and let them be shaped into habits of feeling in relationship. And I sometimes think about, um, I'm the last of eight children. We're all boys. And so my parents spent a lot of time concerned about who we were spending our time with because they knew that our hearts would be shaped in relationship. We would learn habits of wanting, habits of desiring that would either lead us well or not. So I've come to see Ignatius's way as a middle way of attending, taking my desires seriously and letting them be shaped into godly habits of wanting i think there's something to be said about the discernment right discernment means literally to, to sift right to sift through and um elizabeth lieber who's done some writing on spiritual direction has this wonderful exercise that i've come we came across of sort of digging into the different layers of desire and you know, basically you you recognize you have a particular desire and you ask yourself is there a more basic desire underneath this one? When you keep doing that and digging, digging down, and eventually you find, hopefully, that the desire is ultimately for God. It ultimately has to do with my love relationship with God. Now, sometimes we dig those desires and we find that, oh, it's, it's actually a desire to feed my ego, you know, um, the, the desire, so the desires Ignatius really is talking about Ignatian spirituality are those deep desires that ultimately have their source in God. Um, and that, I think that's not always easy to see on the surface. There can be a desire we may ha might have for something that on the surface seems initially good, but when we dig down, it's more about ourselves than it is about, you know, loving God and neighbor. I think one of the other things that took me a long time to come to is that there's a difference between strong desire and deep desire. Mm -hmm. That just because I, I, I feel a longing for something or, or a really powerful desire doesn't necessarily mean that it's deep. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's trustworthy. And that's taken a long time to come to for me that there's a difference between strong and deep. I think about Ignatius convalescing in bed, right? When he's daydreaming about these two paths, <clears throat> the more worldly path, more godly path, that they both, he might say, uh, were strong desires initially, right? They both gave him this excitement and joy. They both seemed to propel him in a certain way. But then as he let those desires and those initial feelings settle, right? He noticed that the more godly path and living for Christ 
um, was more of that deep desire, like you're talking about, Bill, you know, rather than just about the strength of the desire. It's kind of moving from the almost from the body um, into the heart, right? Because we, mm-hmm. I think we feel bodily, you know, a strength of a desire or or a, a yearning, but then when we let let it settle into the heart, that's kind of where it it, it takes root um, in our in our soul. Yeah, and I often find yeah that the image of digging deep is helpful because. I can tell that my desires vacillate between wanting to escape myself versus wanting to really dig in despite how painful it might be. And and that's a daily thing. It's not, we've mentioned these bigger like vocational desires of marriage or religious life, but I mean, that's a daily discernment for me in the midst of parenting and just the exhaustion of that at the end of the day man, it is my desire to just check out, pour a glass of wine, like wind down, but then having to really step back and know, okay, will that really bring a sense of peace at the end of a harried day? Or will taking some time for quiet, for reading, for prayer, um, and really discerning, okay, what is the place of, of peace that's not just a quick fix, um, but a um, a more painful, hard <laughs> process of really sitting with what are what are the emotions of the day and the challenges and why am I exhausted and what do I really need from God and where will my desire meet God's desire? And that's not saying that glass of wine is bad. You know, like that's I think that's what I love about Ignatian spirituality. All things can be gifts, um, but recognizing okay, what am I using as a tool and what am I using as a gift? Makes me think of the Pedro Rupe poem "Fall in Love," right? What what it will decide what will get me out of bed in the morning, what I read, how I spend my time, right? These kind of little things that can have great meaning, but it's this idea of again that propelling us to to do something. You know, why am I pouring a glass of wine? What is the motivation behind it? What is the desire that I'm trying to fulfill? Is it ultimately of God, of relationship, or is it, yeah, is it again of, you know, self and ego? I think self and ego are difficult to understand in the way that we tend to use them and in the way that Ignatius tends to use them. Not long ago, I was working with a, with a, with a Jesuit of the Spanish province on some, some materials for spiritual exercises. And we began to talk about one of the things that he'd lifted out of the text about um, how we make greater progress the more we can check out of self-will, self-interest, and self-love. And my experience in spiritual direction is that a lot of us don't love ourselves enough. Mm-hmm. So I've become very wary of somebody saying, I need to get rid of my self-love. I need to get out of my self-interest. Because, because many of us carry a lot of shame. And so the way into desire, the way into what God hopes for me, is actually to love myself better, to love myself, which isn't reducible to an egotistical desire mm-hmm. or a self-focus that locks me in. 
In fact, if I can't love myself well, I'm not going to love anybody else well either. So I think this is a place where some careful sifting of Ignatius's own text and what does it mean and what's good in it? Because not everything in Ignatius is good. There are things that are toxic in the spiritual exercises and they need to be sifted. Thank you for that nuance. I think it does need to be heard that certainly the way I understand the way we use ego, even colloquially, right? Um, I think it has, it's very much connected with sort of pride, puffing oneself up, sort of self-image versus self-care and recognizing my own human dignity and that I am beloved. There's an important distinction there. Yeah. Well, and just identity. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate. My spiritual director, I bring up like, Oh, that was my ego talking. And she'll say, you need a healthy sense of ego. You need that sense of identity Mm -hmm. and, and confidence. Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, but, but Bill, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And we forget that proposition as yourself. And if we, we don't learn how to take a step back and be gentle and tender with ourselves as God longs for us, we're never going to be able to offer that to others. Mm-hmm. And I know I am a better parent when I step back in the midst of a meltdown from one of our kids and know and question like, what's really going on here? What's the bigger picture? How would I feel about this situation right now? Um, But that takes time. (laughs) That takes discernment. And so often we we're reactionary. Um, But yeah, to be tender with ourselves first before responding to another is just so crucial. Have either of you had, um, an experience of a desire that was fulfilled in a way that you didn't expect? So I have. Um, one, of the de- one of the desires that I had to discern in my own path toward ordination, in my own path in the Society of Jesus, was um, the, desire to, the desire for children. And... Um, of course, I, I've stayed in the society. That's, that desire is not going to be filled in the, the most obvious way. Immediately after ordination, I was sent to a mostly Hispanic parish in Richmond, Virginia, where fully one-third of the parish were children. And so I didn't have the life of daily parenting but I was in a position of caring for children a lot and getting to love other people's children. And so that's not the same, but for me, it was really important because it wasn't nothing. I think for me, the the first thing that comes to mind is both pregnancies with our kiddos. I spent nine months imagining and um, kind of daydreaming what that kiddo would be like. And both times my own imagination has completely failed me <laughs> 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 with, when pregnant with our first um, 
who's a little girl, I just, I imagine that in those nine months that I would have a little girl just like I had been and that my parents had always described me as a child, just very quiet and shy. And Eva is anything but. She is sassy. She is independent. She's never been cuddly. Um, She just has an utterly different personality than I I did <laughs> or do. And then Oscar, um, when pregnant with him, just really, I remembered my maternity leave with Eva. And so I was kind of daydreaming about that, daydreaming about cuddling with him at night when, when he was awake and imagining that I would like those just tender one-on-one moments. And then he had colic and my maternity leave was horrendous. I mean, it was just a, like months of despair for me of, of dealing with a, a baby that was unhappy. Um, and so both times, like these kiddos that I imagined and daydreamed about were so different. And that, that there was a grieving, especially for me with Eva of having to let go of this dream that I had. But in so doing has been such a good spiritual lesson for me that these kids are not mine. They are gifts and I, and they are mysteries. And I'm super glad that they're very different than I hoped they would be because otherwise I probably would have held the firmer grasp on them. Um, And so I just, I kind of am surprised each day about who they are and what I am learning about them. I realize I don't know them and I need to get to know them over the years um, who God has made them. And so I'm grateful for that. And so in many ways, just my, my longing to be a mother has been met, but how I am a mother has been met and, and who my children are um, has been a surprise. And I think what a gift that is that, yeah, I mean, I am learning to let go and just be caught up in the mystery of that. I hear in both of these stories, I, in both of these desires that you each had, uh, uh, giving room to God to surprise you and to draw you into a new place and to, yeah, and to meet these desires anew, you know, in a different way. I'm, the story I always go to is, you know, that, as I said before, I, I had, I had, and I still do, I would say in some ways, a desire both for priesthood and for marriage. And I couldn't have both, you know, so I had, I had to decide, but it doesn't mean that that desire was invalid. Mm. Um, but now as I reflect, like, yeah, I don't, I don't hear sacramental confessions, but in spiritual direction, people open up their hearts and I hear, um, I hear the depth of people's souls, you know, um, I work in ministry. I work for the church, but I'm also married. I have children, you know. So the desire, if, any, if anything, it's unfolded um, even better, you know. Yeah. There's like God has been generous. Mm. As I listen to you, Andy, there's it touches on something I, that a learning about desire that I had, um, and I think for. A, For a good long while, I labored under the notion that if I were if I were really living out my vocation, it would meet all my desires. That has not been my experience of Mm -hmm. my vocation. It meets many of my desires. 
I'm very happy about the way I'm spending my life, but there are some desires that it does not meet. Um, like you, I had a strong desire for marriage and a family and a strong desire to be a priest. That desire, that desire for a particular relationship, that didn't really go away. Mm. It's changed its place. I've, I've learned how to include specific people in my life in a way that's appropriate to my vocation. But that desire didn't really go away. It's not, it's, it's going to remain unmet. And to be able to find a, a peace with a, a, a desire not being met and not, and it not being a sign that something's wrong, that a desire, an unmet desire doesn't mean that something's wrong. It has something to do with, I think, what you were saying about making space. Hmm. That unmet desire is a space. Yeah, for something new. Something unexpected. I think desire and hope are connected, too. Um, I think hope is kind of the spirit in which we desire. Um, but hope is not an expectation that things are going to necessarily turn out the way we want them. But I think hope is that kind of natural giving room to God. You know, we say we are, this podcast is called A People of Hope, right? We're a people of hope in the sense that we hope in God. We trust in God that God will fulfill our needs and desires in the way that, that fits within our life circumstances and the needs of the kingdom. And our circumstances throughout life change. Certain things come and go and fall away, and our desires will adapt to those things. The one thought that I have has to do with something you, were, you mentioned earlier, Andy, about um, desires being in the body and settling in the heart. I think one of the pitfalls in working with desire is that um, Ignatian spirituality can seem heady. And that discernment is about thinking things over a lot. But I've worked with a number of people who couldn't name emotions, who couldn't name desires. And so we actually started by, by, by turning our attention into, into body. Mm. Where do I feel it? What does it feel like? What part of my body is it in? How big is it? How heavy is it? How much space does it take up? And, and for some of us, and this has happened in my experience more with men than with women, it was, it's a way to begin to develop a vocabulary about affect and desire. Um, because I think many of us, I'd say this is true of me, we weren't formed to feel. Hmm. We have to learn it. Yeah, Ignatian spirituality emphasizes feelings. You know, not that we do what our feelings tell us, but feelings happen and we are called to respond in particular ways. Um, and that's where I see that settling into the heart that we bodily experience certain feelings and emotions. We pay attention to them, we recognize them, but then we allow them to settle into the heart as we discern how we respond to them. It's the same with desires, right? What is calling me to be my truest self in God? Um, how is God calling me to be in relationship? How is God calling me to spend my life? Those are rooted in those 
those deep desires, but we do have to do that sifting, that attending to. Well, thank you to both of you. This has uh, been a lovely conversation, and we'll continue these conversations over the next several months about Ignatian spirituality. So thank you, Sarah and Bill. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks for listening. Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at ignatiushouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.